On this episode of Balancing the Christian Life, we talk about the struggle of parenting. Welcome to Balancing the Christian Life. I'm Dr. Kenny Embry. We'll talk about how to be better Christians and people in the digital age. Let's go. Thanks for joining me. It's that time of year when I have several projects demanding my time, and I needed something which is easier to produce, so I thought I would talk about something I've been thinking about for a while. Since I've been doing the podcast, it's been fun and interesting to look at what episodes get more attention than others. I won't go through all the numbers, but the two episodes that have stood out with some of the highest download numbers are both about parenting. Granted, they also included Phil Robertson, which doesn't surprise me a bit. I've said it before. Phil is a great guy. But what does surprise me is for a podcast that started out as a father talking to its son, it sounds like we're also interested in getting better as a dad. I understand that. When I became a father, I knew I wasn't prepared. There's something daunting about being responsible for little children that makes you second-guess almost every decision you make. There's a danger in talking about how to be a good parent, because I know, like all parents, we have our own problems with raising children. I promise you, I have made more than my fair share of mistakes as I've been raising my own kids. I often talk about my kids, Emma, Jake, Kent, and Abby, because they have been a huge part of my life. But there's a high wire act in parenting I don't see in many other parts of my life. In some ways, our children reflect back the job we're doing. I can't tell you how many times I've watched a child from somebody else and watched them make a stupid mistake or make a dumb decision and then blame the parent. And there's a sense where I think that's warranted, and then a lot of times when I don't. In Luke, the 15th chapter, Jesus tells the parable of the prodigal son, where he has two children who make two very different, but both stupid decisions. The younger son takes his inheritance and wastes it and comes back home after making himself a fool. And the other throws a tantrum because the father gave the younger son some attention after he came home. I think one of the things we recognize pretty quickly in this story is that the father is God. So, what kind of parent lets his kid leave the house and waste everything on parties and recklessness and the other to be jealous and petty? We understand even with a perfect parent, children will often make terrible decisions. Whenever I think about being a parent, it reminds me of the slogan for the army, it's the toughest job you'll ever love. The vast majority of parenting is tedious, monotonous, difficult, mindless work. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with my kids about truly inspiring stuff, like unloading dishwasher, putting clothes away, whose turn it is to take out the dog, why we don't need to go to Chick-fil-A again tonight, mowing the lawn, cleaning bathrooms, why listening to lyrics is a big deal, screen time, tantrums because I don't do math like the teacher does, or why they should save some money and not spend it all immediately. On top of that, <laughs> I never knew my job would also include cleaning up vomit, uh, picking up dog poop, plumbing, taxing my children all over kingdom come, air conditioner repair, computer troubleshooting. Most of the things I end up fixing were never something I studied unless I was able to learn about it from YouTube University. And no, YouTube University is not a thing. 
But as a parent, despite this litany of stuff my wife and I still have to contend with on a daily basis, it's not the most important responsibility we have for our children. We want our kids to have the character of Christ. And yes, that means we talk about God. But more importantly, it affects how we do all the other things. If you're a parent, you understand there's an attitude and character you have to have while you're making dinner, fixing the printer, and listening to them complain about school. If you'd like my insight on how to be a decent parent, I think there are three things I've learned that make a difference in being a parent. First, love your kids. Second, love your spouse. And finally, focus on what's important and what's just not. Loving your children seems like an easy suggestion, but it can be harder than you think. In his book, 12 Rules for Life, Jordan Peterson says in rule number five, not to let your children do anything that makes you dislike them. His logic is pretty good. If you dislike your child for how they behave, there's a good chance his or her peers will feel the same. Peterson says by the time your child is five, many of the core parts of his or her personality are already set in place, including how they relate to other people. But loving your child has almost nothing to do with hallmark sentiment and everything to do with helping them grow. Edwin Crozier and I read the book, Hold On to Your Kids, which became the basis of our conversation in episode 70. The authors there talk about helping your child by being their main connection to understanding and making sense of the world instead of their peers. The connection we have with our children should be a confidant and teacher. Yes, I love my time with my kids, and I think mine are the cutest, brightest, and do some amazing things. I'm an unabashed fan. But ultimately, I love my kids by helping them develop character. The relationship between God and Israel is probably the best picture of what a parent should do. God is the perfect parent. He asked Israel to develop character. He gave a good example. He provided for his children. He punished, and he always showed a way back home. In 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, Paul articulates the characteristics of love. Patience, kindness, humility, long-suffering, hopefulness, and the list goes on. In context, Paul calls love the greatest spiritual gift, and it is the challenge of parenthood. None of us consistently exhibit these qualities. Loving children can be difficult because they are completely dependent on you. Every need eventually comes back to something you must provide. Like God's relationship to us, we are completely dependent on Him. However, one of the most important relationships they need to understand from you is the relationship you have with your spouse. Healthy marriages are composed of two interdependent people. The difference between dependence and interdependence is the ability to function without the other. My wife and I are voluntarily in a relationship we have to work 
to make work. Again, the relationship that best explains this relationship is God. It would be easy to turn again to 1 Corinthians 13 chapter and talk about love again. That's certainly applicable here. But the relationship between my wife and I has to do with the relationship between equals. You can tell a lot about someone based on how they treat their spouse. You can also tell a lot about someone by how much they'll put up with. There are so many marriages in the Bible which show this ability to complement each other. I think about the very little we know about Priscilla and Aquila. However, in my mind, they work as one. Their mission was the same, and they just seem like partners. That's something I can learn. Or the marriage between Abraham and Sarah, and how she showed him respect and how he showed her love. Many have taken that phrase in Ephesians 5 that men should love their wives and women should respect their husbands as a virtuous cycle in making marriage work. I don't disagree. It is important Katie respects me, and I know Katie wants to feel loved by me. When we have problems, that's often the place we can point to as not working well. Gary Chapman wrote a book called The Five Love Languages, where he describes how different people see love communicated by different things. Those languages are words of affirmation, quality time, receiving gifts, acts of service, and physical touch. Words of affirmation include compliments or verbally showing affection. Quality time often means time where your attention is focused on the other. For example, every Friday night, Katie and I go out to dinner to spend time with one another. I know I failed when Katie has to remind me to put my phone away. Suddenly, my divided attention is no longer working for her. Receiving gifts doesn't have to include expensive items, but for Katie, they need to show some forethought. I must admit, this is what Katie likes, and I fumble this a lot. Even though we've been married for over a decade, I still mess up on guessing what she would like, but I do get some credit for trying. Acts of service is another love language for Katie. She likes it when I get her coffee in the morning or washing the kitchen island. Finally, physical touch can include intimate touching or just being affectionate. My love languages tend to be words of affirmation and physical touch. I like it when people say nice things about me. The trick to using the five love languages is to realize different people value different expressions of love. The reason Chapman calls it a language is because we can often feel we are communicating our love without using the symbols the other understands. I love my wife. And the better I speak her love language, gifts and acts of service, the more she'll understand that. Also, loving my wife is important for me to show the kids. As a parent, I model the relationship they will think of as marriage. How we treat each other will be seen and modeled by my kids. It's honestly the way I learned marriage from my parents. One of the most loving things I can do for my kids is to show them how much I love their mother. Again, love isn't so much an emotion in all this, but doing something. Collie Caldwell probably gave me one of the most useful definitions of love. He said it is active goodwill 
meeting needs. You'll notice this love is focused on action, not on feeling. And that's an important distinction. Paul is focused on the behaviors of love, not on the feelings. Being kind or patient or giving gifts or compliments or affection, all of these things, which means something to the people who love me and I love. But I think one of the keys to good parenting is focusing on what matters and only that. You can love your children and love your spouse, but there's a part of parenting where everyone is a Monday morning quarterback. Phil Robertson once told me parenting isn't for sissies, and he's right. Because many of us, our parents, there's often a level of scrutiny we fall under. Because our kids turned out all right, or we made a different decision, or we don't agree with something another parent has chosen, we feel we have the right to criticize them. To be clear, some things are wrong and should be labeled that way. But I'm not really talking about that. One of the reasons I've been thinking about all of this is a conversation I had with a mother who was hurting. I won't identify her by name, but she told me her story about what was going on in her family. One child was having some severe cognitive problems and needed help. Another was older and had decided she was an atheist. What she told me next made me shudder. I feel like people are judging me for being a bad parent. I know I wasn't perfect, and I blame myself for a lot of this. I confess, I did judge some of her decisions, but I caught myself. I don't have her children. And from what I know of her, I know she did the best she could with what she had when she had it. No, she wasn't a perfect parent. None of us are. But even when you have the perfect parent, sometimes the children still make the wrong choices. God is perfect. I'm his child. And I mess up daily. I've said in the past, I think family relationships were given to us to illustrate spiritual truths. God is our father. We are his children. I think I identify with God most when I think about parenting. No, I'm not perfect like God. But I understand even better the choices he's made. It's kind of like how I appreciated my father more when I became one myself. My dad is a generous but quirky character. When I lived at home, I often second-guessed his decisions because I thought I knew better. I still don't agree with all of his decisions, but I don't second-guess them anymore. I know he was doing the best he could with what he had when he had it. Focus on what matters and forget the rest. If you are a parent, God bless you. Love your kids. Love your family. Focus on what really matters. As for the good thing I'm thinking about, <laughs> I'm trying to wrap up the semester, and I'm always reminded how much I truly love my students. It's a cool thing to be someone who helps them find their way in life. I'd also like to thank those who financially support the podcast, like George Sanchez, Kevin Hansen, Don Nietzsche, Jerry Wright, Barbara McWayne, and my parents. I really appreciate your support. 
Next week on the podcast, I plan to have one more audio essay about the value of friendship. So until next week, let's be good and do good.